I love it when God will actually do things that continue to blow us away. I've been doing ministry for quite a while now, and it never ceases to amaze me when God will pull those little miracles, and it just makes me stop and go, wow. Let me give you an example. Um, when we sit down to craft the sermon series that we're going to go through, like the one we're doing now, Lessons from the Lesser Known, the only calendar that we really abide by is the church calendar. And as you know, and probably we've reviewed in the past, they don't mesh perfectly with our annual or social calendars. So it, it's always intriguing to me when God will align things without any doing on our human part that works out perfectly. Uh, today we're going to talk about relationship of brothers, uh, Aaron and Moses. Obviously you've probably connected those dots, but you couldn't actually talk about sibling relationships unless we also talked about the parents. And we actually dedicate two days a year, one Mother's Day and today Father's Day, which is God's way of creating the family. And so while we'll talk about these two brothers, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact of God's gift of mothers and fathers. And so let's celebrate the gift of fathers today, and, and we'll do that with a, a little video. And, and of course, maybe you're at that point in your own life with uh, your kids, but the dad jokes come in, and dads can be a little bit corny, but hopefully they've also learned the valuable lesson of how important it is to love their children. Gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome to another dad battle. Now, is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? Gentlemen, my son joined the golf team at school, so I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on! Yeah. Yeah. Hold up! Who touched the thermostat? Yeah! That lawn isn't gonna mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. Oh, yeah. 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 Just wait till your mother gets home. Ah. Yeah. Oh. 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 Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it. Oh. 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 
pr proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you, no matter what. When God made you, he made something very special. The proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. And again, who gives this woman? No. No, you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I do. part about that video is uh, I've said some of those same things to my kids. Unfortunately, I didn't say the last things enough to them. It took me too many years to figure out how important a role parents play in their children's lives, especially fathers and sons. And I have to agree with that one part. Some of the proudest days of my own life are when God gave my wife and I the gift of our sons. And so let's, before we get into our main study, just thank God for the gift of our fathers. That said, we should also give thanks to God our Father because he actually has given us a brother, Jesus Christ, and through the gift of faith, we have this beautiful and amazing thing. We have a second chance to work on our human relationships. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, parents and children, brothers and sisters. And today's lesson of a lesser known, Aaron helping his little brother, Moses will be a way for God to not only guide and teach us, but to encourage us to reach out and help our Christian brothers and sisters. This is the lesson God will use to do that. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Now, I told you that our Old Testament lesson gave us the context in part, and it's the most immediate context, and it's uh, part of the conversation at the burning bush Moses is having with God. But it doesn't give us the full context, so I'd like to set that scene. And even though this will be familiar to many of us, I think the review will be helpful. What happens from the time of our lesson, we need to back up 40 years. And that's when Moses was in the land of Egypt, and he cared very much about his people and wanted to help them. And unfortunately, he took matters into his own hands, and he killed one of the slave masters who was over the children of Israel. As a result, news got back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh threatened Moses' life. He runs for his life, and he ends up settling in the land known as Midian. 
he would be there for the next 40 years. And God blessed him while he was there. He met his wife, Zipporah. He started his family. He had two sons of his own. And then he spent the majority of that time working for his father-in-law, Jethro, tending his flocks. As any good shepherd knows, you have to travel great distances to find the best land and the best grass for the sheep to eat. And that's why even though he had spent time in Midian, we now find Moses over in the Sinai Peninsula at a mountain which has two names. In Exodus, it's often referred to as Mount Horeb, but we know it by its more common name, Sinai. And that, we know, is the place where God established his covenant with the nation of Israel and where he gave the moral law to all mankind, the Ten Commandments. But before we could ever get to those events, this lesson plays an important part because God was calling Moses to be the one who would lead his people out of the bondage of Egyptian slavery and to the borders of the Promised Land. What Moses didn't realize is that God was using those 40 years of shepherding to actually prepare him to lead Israel. Because as you read through the book of Exodus, you will find that the nation of Israel was much like a flock of sheep. A lot of times they wanted to wander off in their own directions, and it's only by God's grace and care and leadership of those he chose that he eventually got them to the Promised Land. This lesson comes as part of the pivotal moment in Moses' life where this conversation ensues at the burning bush on Mount Sinai, and we're hearing God laying out his plan to rescue the nation of Israel, and then also the part that Moses would play in that. Now, as Moses considers what the Lord says, he's taking it in and grasping what this plan is all about. And of course, it's a brilliant and magnificent plan that Almighty God would now go to his people and rescue them. But Moses wasn't so thrilled about the part that God was saying that he would have to play in this plan. Because what it would force him to do is to go back to the land from which he had fled, a land that he raced away from in great fear. He knew he would have to confront the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Pharaoh, the grandson of the very Pharaoh who had actually threatened his life and wanted him dead. Now, if you read through the book of Exodus, you will find that Moses offers no less than five different excuses for why he wasn't the man for the job. And it's not that he wasn't qualified, because obviously God knew he was. The problem that is revealed is, is that Moses' heart is filled with fear and not faith, which intriguingly leads us not so much to the excuses but to God's responses to each and every excuse. Because as you go through to God's answers, you will find that everyone has this one thing in common. Moses, what I'm asking you to do as the leader of my people is to trust me. That was God's answer to every one of those excuses. But there's something else at play here, and it's not just because Moses was so afraid. It is because he's a sinful human being, and we know sinful human beings do have their limitations. Even though God has properly called the right man to do the job, he would need some help. It's the final excuse that leads to the most interesting answer on God's part and ultimately leads us into our lesson today. Because as Moses talks about the fact that he wasn't a very good public speaker and that he wouldn't be the right man to deliver the message, and without saying it, it's God, I'm really afraid to do this, please send somebody else, God has already set in motion the answer. 
It shows us that God not, already, uh, not only knew the excuses that Moses would come up with, but God had the right answer for every one of those excuses. If you work out the timing, it means that God had actually called Aaron to go to Moses before Moses ever arrived at the burning bush. Because we hear the call, go into the desert to meet Moses, and he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. You see what God had done was he dealt with the excuses long before Moses ever mouthed them, and God provided the help that Moses himself would need in order to be the leader of the people. And all of this was timed perfectly so that they wouldn't spend all kinds of days and weeks at Sinai arguing over these things, and the plan to rescue his people was already set in motion. It's in this first verse that we find some very interesting things. It's probably good if we just stop a moment and consider there's some certain things that we know if we look carefully, and there's a lot of things that we don't know. We don't know where Aaron was at when God called him. We don't know how long Aaron had been traveling to get to Mount Sinai to meet with his brother. We don't know how long it had been since Moses and Aaron had spent any time together and the big one is we don't know what kind of relationship these two brothers were experiencing at this time. All of the things that we know about the relationship between Aaron and Moses really come after the fact. And as you continue to read through the book of Exodus, you will find that at times they meshed perfectly, and there were other times that it didn't work so well. So what is it about this meeting that tells us God's plan was going to work the way that he wanted it to work? You see, one of the things that we had covered in a previous lesson, it was at the end of our sanctification series, and the sermon was entitled Sanctified Amram and Jacobed. Those are the parents for these two boys. And one of the things that we had done was had established what Scripture teaches us about the family dynamics of Moses' family. And just as a quick review, you might recall that the eldest child was Miriam, his sister. And we don't know her exact age. Best guess is she was probably in her teens when Moses was born. The other thing we learned is that Aaron is the middle child and he was actually three years older than Moses, which then makes Moses the baby. Now, that isn't to say that there might not have been other siblings. If there were, God simply doesn't tell us about them. But it does tell us that there was already three children within this family. And if you have any siblings, you know that that sometimes can be a huge blessing and sometimes it can be quite a challenge based on family dynamics, based on birth order, based on daughters or sons. A lot of times those relationships can be amazing. Maybe in your own family there's a certain child that you might have had a closer relationship because you were closer in age, or maybe a closer relationship because you were both boys or, or both girls. But God knows all these things exist within the human family, and God knows what he needs to do in order to make these things work to ultimately fulfill his plan. Now, here's the thing. In this topic of kissed, I think a lot of times we'll go through Scripture, we'll read our Bibles, and go, oh, that's interesting. And most of us would just chalk this up as that's an ancient custom of greeting one another. And while there's some truth to that, we have to understand this greeting within the context of Judaism. The Israelites would use this greeting, but not always. When one person would kiss another person upon greeting them, it's actually sending a message. It's pledging loyalty to that person. Here we have Aaron, the elder brother, kissing Moses, the younger brother, and that's saying, Moses, I'm loyal to you. I know God has called you to be the chief part of this crew, but I'm here to support you. 
There's a second message this kiss sends. It also expresses loyalty to the Father and to the fathers in the nation of Israel. I am here, Moses, to help you help our people. And the third thing that this kiss greeting, uh, the message that it sends, is the most important of all. Aaron, in kissing his younger brother Moses, was saying, I'm loyal to God and to his plan to rescue our people. And Moses, I'm going to have to trust the Lord, and so are you. And so we find that God is using the dynamic between these two brothers, and regardless of what might have happened before this or their relationship leading up to this, we recognize in what Scripture records for us that they were going to work together as an amazing team in order to fulfill God's plan. That's why I included this as a gospel lesson, because... This also is in the context of Judaism. When Judas goes to kiss Jesus, he's saying the same things, or at least he's implying it, but it's fake. He's acting like a friend when in fact he's truly a foe. And sometimes we find that even within family dynamics. We'll put on a nice face, or we'll choose to get along for whatever amount of time we need to, then we part ways and it goes back to the way it was. Loyalty can be faked, but in the situation of Moses and Aaron, we find that God had called the right two brothers. Because while Moses wasn't the greatest of speakers, he was a serious and solid man. Let's say between the two brothers, he had the better backbone. He would stand up and do what was right. And while Aaron didn't have that same quality, he did have the ability to communicate. And so what God does is to take the strengths and the weaknesses of each and combine them to ultimately keep his promise, not only of giving the promised land to his people, but ultimately making them the people who would produce the Savior. That is a miracle in and of itself, because if your family was anything like my family, if you're not an only child and you had siblings then you know how sibling rivalry works. Didn't take me too long to find that clip. <laughs> Just Google <laughs> sibling rivalry and they come up by the fistful. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know what your family dynamic's like. I don't, I don't know how many siblings you have. I don't know if, if sometimes you have to deal with the tensions or... But let's be honest. We have, in this situation, an older brother who ultimately would stand the shadow of the younger brother. That oftentimes doesn't sit too well with the older child. And yet, God, excuse me, God chooses to do it this way because it was the right way to do it. And we find that what happens is that when they do greet, not only do we find that they're going to work as a well-oiled team, but it proceeds exactly as God had told Moses it would, that he relates to him. And that's what that line in the Old Testament is uh, meant to say, is that Moses would be like God to Aaron. That doesn't mean he was divine. It meant that God would speak to Moses, and then Moses would speak to Aaron. And I'm sure there were days when Aaron was going, why doesn't God just tell me what to say? But he wanted these brothers to work together. He wanted these brothers to support and encourage one another. He wanted these brothers to help each other so that ultimately they could help their people. So they go to the people, having not only heard the message of God's plan of deliverance, but then also those amazing, miraculous signs, 
And we find that one of the fears that Moses possessed, one of the excuses that he offered, was unwarranted. He was concerned that the people would actually believe it was God who was sending them. And of course, the signs helped, but the reality is as soon as Aaron delivers this message to the people, they actually believed. There weren't all kinds of questions. Hey, how's God going to do this? There wasn't pushback like this nation was known to do. And there wasn't the rebellion that we often see amongst the children of Israel. In fact, step one was now complete that the team was developed. Step two was important that the people believe because you know the rest of the story. There were some challenges ahead of them. And they needed to trust God, just like Moses needed to trust God. And the reality is, for all the times that Israel failed to live up to their calling, this is one of those beautiful times when not only do they believe, but they actually give thanks and praise to God. And there's a specific word, because their prayers were being answered, that God was sending a rescuer. Now, ultimately, that's found in Jesus Christ, our true brother. But in the immediate context, they're talking about Moses. And so once again, the older brother is going to serve the younger brother in order to fulfill and complete God's plan. And that can't be the most comfortable of situations, and yet for the sake of their relationship and the sake of their calling, Aaron would have to serve the little brother. Now, our lesson doesn't end there. There would be a third step, and this would be the most difficult of all. I had reminded you that Moses left Egypt because he was afraid. Now he'd have to go back, even though it was four decades later, and this was actually the grandson of the Pharaoh who wanted him dead. He would have to come face to face with him and demand that he let God's people go. And he didn't have the words himself to make that happen, and so God provides Aaron as that mouthpiece to help his little brother. See, the reality is, is that oftentimes we focus in on Moses, He's the famous one. After all, God called him. He led Israel. He parted the Red Sea. He got the commandments. And yet, for all of the big things that Moses did, he could not have done this one thing without the help of his elder brother. Which teaches us that there are many lessons from these lesser known because we're very much in the same situation as Israel. We cry out for deliverance too. We're not under the bondage of the Egyptians or Pharaoh, but we do live under the terrible slavery of sin and the fear of and pain of death. God has promised us a deliverer. Our prayers have been answered, and that deliverer is our brother. And that's the right way to refer to Jesus, our brother, because the voice from the burning bush, the Son of God, took on human flesh and blood in order to rescue us. There was no other way this plan was going to work. And unlike all of the other lesser knowns in the Bible, the one who should be known most of all, Jesus, wasn't going to receive help from anybody. From you, from me, or from any of his own brothers. It was the one task in this life that only one person could fulfill, and he had to go alone. But Jesus Christ is different than the rest of us because we are human flesh and blood, and it is sinful human flesh and blood, and we have our weaknesses, our fears, our doubts. And every once in a while, what we really need is for somebody to come alongside of us to help us, like an older brother would help a younger brother. Think of it this way. Moses stood at the burning bush having a conversation with the very Son of God. 
And it's in that setting that he decides to bring up five reasons why he couldn't do the job. He has what we have, the Son of God at his very disposal, but it wasn't enough. Now, don't misunderstand. God knows us, and God knows what we need. When it comes to our spiritual salvation, Jesus Christ alone is the one who can do that. But when it comes to making our way through this life, there are times when we actually need to visibly see the hands and the feet of our Savior. And God would choose to provide that in a Christian brother or a Christian sister. The reality is, is that from time to time, God will call upon us if we're willing to hear that call and if we're willing to answer to do the one thing that people need the most, to be the visible representation of rescue. The very thing that Jesus Christ did for all of us in eternity, God asks us to do here in time and in earthly ways. Now that can take one of two angles. Either you're the one crying out for help or you're the one that God is calling to come alongside and help somebody else. And according to whatever gift of faith the Holy Spirit has given to us, and the spiritual gifts which he has provided, some of us might be better at that than others. Some people are great at showing mercy. Some people are great at encouraging. Other people are those who need those things. And regardless of what side of the aisle we fall on for those two different roles, God says, I would have you be willing, and I would, in, I would encourage you to fulfill your calling as sometimes the big brother. Truth is, that when we're called to do things today to help others, in many ways it's like us standing at the burning bush. And we can think of a thousand excuses why we can't. I'm too busy. I've already got all of this on my plate. I've got needs. Why should I be the one to help them? You could fill a page with excuses. And God says the same thing to us that he said to Moses. He says, you know what? All I need you to do is to trust me. This is my plan, and I will work it out through you. Yeah, Moses, I know you don't have everything you think you need, but as long as you have me, you've got this. And just to be sure, I'm going to send somebody else to help you. And so while today we give thanks to God for the gift of our fathers, let us not overlook the fact that they probably and hopefully taught us how best to show Christian love to one another. But if they didn't, or if it's a lesson that we've forgotten, thank God he has provided us, first and foremost, our true brother in faith, Jesus Christ. But then when need be, he will also send us a brother in the flesh. I am one of your brothers. I am fairly successful in my career. I have a great relationship with my wife and with my kids. I don't really have any significant hang-ups. But as I look around, I don't see anyone that I've made a significant impact with. I want to go from success to significance. I need a brother who I can influence or one who through the word of God will influence me to make an impact in others. I am one of your brothers. Coming to church wasn't my idea, but I love my wife and kids and they love it here. I wish I could get as much out of Jesus in the Bible as everyone else seems to. When I hear the preaching and the music, it does seem to all make sense. I need a brother who can show me how to understand the Bible and how God can be as meaningful to me as he is to others. I am one of your brothers. 
and I'm so happy with the way God has changed my life. Born again is exactly the way I feel. I love doing ministry and compassion stuff. I need a brother in my life to help keep me so grounded in the word that I don't go back to my mediocre spiritual life. I am one of your brothers. Sometimes I'm surprised I'm still here. My path's been pretty rocky. I've struggled on and off with the addictions that rule my life. Some people probably think I don't care about anything but myself, but I really do. I need a brother who can show me from the word how to conquer the addictions that rule my life. I am your brother. I love coming here. I love the worship. I love the preaching. I love the opportunity to fellowship with other men. But I have an area of secret sin in my life that I just can't overcome on my own. I need someone who can help walk me through this and show me how God and his word can help keep me out of that dark place. I need a brother. 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 I need a brother.